This is the Architecture and Innovation Podcast by Syraclad, featuring one-on-one interviews with designers, contractors, city managers, and civic leaders, as well as thought leaders committed to sustainability, innovation, and solutions that are attractive, affordable, and create healthy living environments. Our podcast eliminates the challenges, breakthroughs, and proven solutions brought to industries, organizations, and our communities. The Architecture and Innovation Podcast is underwritten by Syraclad. The Syraclad Rainscreen Fiber Cement Siding System, a proven track record of performance in Japan for nearly 40 years. Zero chemicals, triple coated and factory finished color layering. The ceramic and photocatalytic coat provides 365 day self-cleaning and a 20 year fade limited warning. This high performance siding system serves as an honored innovation with parent company Panasonic and Kubota. For more information, please visit Syraclad.com. For our guest today, we're really honored and uh, excited to welcome Brendan Sanchez, architect and principal of Access Architecture in Vancouver, Washington. Access Architecture believes that connections shape who we are and give life purpose. They're committed to exploring how the built environment can foster these connections, whether it is to one another, our environment, history, or community. Furthermore, their purpose also understands that there's an opportunity in every project to enhance the quality of life through thoughtful architecture. You can find them on the web at access-arc.com. That's access-arc.com. Brendan, thank you so much. Really honored to have you on the show. Yeah, I appreciate you having me, Tom. Brendan, we, we discuss, you'd like to start our show off with uh, if a quote or a mantra that means or matters much. And I'd love it uh, if, if you'd share with uh, your audience today what... Uh, what and how that means much to you? Uh, yeah, absolutely. So one of our main mantras in our office here, um, which ties into the the work that we do and the clients that we work with, is uh, when a flower doesn't bloom, you fix the environment in which it grows, not the flower. And that's by uh, Alexander Denheyer, who's a, um, a writer and, and a speaker. And I, I think it really speaks to our belief that People are in situations that they're in because of circumstance and systems. And so we try to think through one of the lenses uh, of our work is uh, how can we question those systems or circumstances um, in a way that can set them up to be more successful uh, than they have been. So um, recognizing that everyone has a history and choices, but also are subject to the systems that we operate in. And um, I can delve into that further, but really it's thinking about... um, how our built environment and not just our design work, but our business operations uh, can better support the communities in which we serve. Well, that's excellent. You want to really find fascinating about that is it really, you correct me if you think I'm wrong, it really puts the responsibility on you to go, how do we make that, that go back to that change of the environment? That's really taking a very holistic approach and a very personally responsible. I I don't know what your thought on that is. I totally agree. I think uh, as designers and and architects, um, it's important to realize that space isn't neutral. So whether you design something intentionally or unintentionally, it will have an impact uh, on how we experience the world around us. And I think there's a lot of fascinating work being done around the intersection of cognitive neuroscience and architecture and how our bodies and our brains interpret the space around us. Um, 
for good or for bad. And so if we're not intentional about how we approach designing our, our built environment, there could be some um, unintended consequences. Uh, and there have been some unintended consequences um, that can have negative impacts. And so how do we be as intentional as possible? And um, that's really kind of what our work and our mission is about, is trying to be as informed as possible when designing spaces and how we uh, choose to inform ourselves um, is, I think, probably the the largest challenge and ongoing work of questioning what resources and information uh, should we be looking at. And you know, we like to think data is uh, is uh, objective, but it it's objective. And so, where is this data coming from? And and who is behind it? And what's the validity of it? So. There's a lot to unpack there, but uh, I think you know, in a, on a broad level, it's just recognizing that that space is not neutral, and and how do we be more intentional in how we design our spaces? I'm going to quote uh, R. John Robbins, an attorney who had said, uh, I saw a post that intellectual property is truly a business's most valuable asset, and that kind of ties around. I know it's a <laughs> law and, and not architecture, but how, what's your thought on that? It kind of dovetails, in my opinion, to what you're saying a bit. Um, I guess I disagree. Uh, I think as a, as a business owner, it's easy to feel like it's kind of a, a zero sum game with, um, with what information we have, but I feel like that's caused our profession and probably a lot of industries to be very siloed. And so how do we be, sorry about that. How do we be more intentional with how we share data? And, um, I think that is part of the problem is, you know, I know as architects, we feel like we have a design or a certain approach or a certain, like that's our uh, differentiator, right? So we're less inclined to share with others. And so other people are having to go through the same, make the same mistakes or figure out the same information uh, as everyone else when maybe there, if there were a better platform for sharing ideas, um, we wouldn't have to. And we could focus more on solving problems that matter. Um, so I just, I guess I don't really... I don't really subscribe to the, the the zero sum game of like we have to withhold information that we have because otherwise other people will be able to get work that we would have otherwise needed. Um, I just I haven't seen that. We've been very open in our collaborations, and that's actually just led to to more work. Where do you think that came from personally, Brendan? Not just as an architect, but you personally and as a principal, that 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 approach of Hey, wait, we're, we're going to give all this. And then from that, we're going to actually ascend even higher. Um, I think maybe it's uh, trying to not buy into uh, the fear of business ownership and operation. Um, I think, you know, maybe that feeling of needing to keep intellectual property is born out of, of fear. And we just try, I mean, it's a human it's a human reaction. It's natural, but um, to try to maybe think through that a little bit more and be like, okay, we don't need to have our decisions based on fear. We want our decisions to be based on what our values are. And those values, if you can look back as far as you can, when did those were were they instilled in you or just a part of you? I think both. I mean, um, so one of the things we really talk about at, at our practice is designing spaces that heal. And that really came from uh, my mother, who is a doctor, um, so totally unrelated. But I think in a lot of ways, we both 
approach our work from a standpoint of how can we use what we do as a way to heal. And uh, so I think that was kind of instilled in me very early on. And then just recognizing um, that I've been very fortunate growing up. Um, like, for example, you know, I, I've never been homeless, so I don't know what that experience is like. But um, having that empathy for other people that have other lived experiences and um, trying to put myself in, in their shoes and, um, you know, how can we use the platform and the resources that we have to help others. And so I think that has also kind of helped shape the values uh, of our firm and our work. The word you just used, lived experiences. I've, I've never heard it before. Is that an industry? Um, kind of. Okay. I think there's more uh, discussion around it now with uh, trauma-informed design. I'm not sure if you've heard of no, that not yet. phrase before. Okay. So, I mean, it's the idea that um, most people have experienced some form of trauma in their lives, whether that be a parent's divorcing or, you know, something uh, worse than that. But um, everyone's had some traumas that they have either gone through or are going through. And so how do we use, again, our, our built environment to help? Because if we're not thinking intentionally, then spaces that uh, reverberate sound uh, or have very hard, cold surfaces uh, may trigger some traumas. And so, um, yeah, so that's kind of where this idea of lived experiences comes from. It's, you know, my lived experience is probably very different than your lived experience, different from someone else. And so who am I to say that I know best what someone needs when we're designing apartments or a school or you know, wouldn't you want to hear from people that occupy those spaces and learn from the experiences that they have to, again, better inform the design decisions that we make during the architectural process? Can you share with your audience, Rendon, uh, maybe some recent project? You don't have to name any names, but just where where what you've shared with your audience today actually is, is it put in play and is in application. Yeah. Um, so one of our current projects is what's called a navigation center. There's going to be eight uh, social service nonprofits under one roof uh, sharing resources and ideas. And the other half of that site is emergency shelter housing. And so when laying out the site for the shelter housing, um, we did a, a focus group where we brought in people with lived experience. So those that are currently uh, in shelter housing, as well as those who were and transitioned out of it uh, to go over some of our ideas and get their feedback. And it was really eye-opening, even just things around sight lines, right? Being able to have very clear sight lines, because if you aren't able to see what's around a corner, um, that makes you more anxious and you may be very nervous about, you know, some unknown thing around the corner uh, that, that could cause or re-trigger trauma. And so understanding sight lines and, and kind of ability of um, feeling some, some control over your environment rather than an institutional feel, for example, with furniture that's bolted to the ground rather than movable or lighting that you can adjust the levels rather than uh, just fixed on off. Those are all things that tying it back to research and cognitive neuroscience, we now know have positive mental health outcomes uh, for people and occupants of, of spaces. 
Um, but that focus group was like one example of how we brought in people with lived experience to help give us feedback on our design and ultimately make it a lot better. It's fascinating. You're listening to Architecture and Innovation Podcast. We're talking today with Brendan Sanchez, architect and principal at Access Architecture. Their website is access-arc. That's access-arc. Brendan, if you can uh, delve in a bit to the cognitive neuroscience and how architecture impacts that, love to hear it. So I would maybe start by recommending a book called Welcome to Your World. And it is about exactly that. It's um, the emergence of, um, well, there's fMRI technology that has kind of come out uh, in recent in the recent decades where people are starting to understand how our brain interprets the spaces around us, all the variable inputs, not just visually, right, but um, audio, uh, touch, taste, smell. Um, so how our senses are being engaged by the world around us and, you know, what that might mean for the built environment. So as an example, um, you know, I, I like to use this one where when we look at something, we may say, oh, that looks cold or, um, and actually what's going on is even though we're not touching a material or a, or a building, our brain is subconsciously thinking about what would it be like to touch that material or building. Um, and in that way, we are kind of experiencing the materials around us without actually physically touching them. So it's just, it's fascinating as we begin to better understand how our brain is receiving messages that we may not even be thinking about. And I think that has, again, implications for how do we be more intentional with what we're designing? Is it actually good to have, you know, a hundred feet of glass and metal storefront along uh, a ground floor of a commercial building or does the brain and body respond better when we have little, you know, 15, 20 foot bays that are broken up by columns and masonry and um, some other forms of texture articulation, like you might find in a, you know, old European street. Um, I think probably most people would prefer to walk down an old European street with cobblestone and that kind of like smaller scale of storefront than a hundred foot long glass you know, glass and metal storefront. Um, and now there's research to show that that's the case. One of them increases our heart rate and we speed up in walking past and the other one, we actually slow down. That texture, is that obviously consideration for every project of yours? Yeah. I mean, we, we really try to think about in our projects, how, how we are engaging or intentionally not engaging the, the various senses. I think we're so visually oriented these days uh, that like architects design visually. And I think it's easy to forget that we have these other senses that whether we like it or not, or choose to um, accept it or not, like our other senses are being engaged by what we're designing. Um, so again, how do we factor those into our design decisions? What, uh, in your experience, even opinion, what's evolved or changed within architecture in the last, say, two or three years? Two or three years. Interesting. Yeah. Well, I would say, I think, um, one thing I feel proud of is that our, we started our firm before the pandemic and our main mission is, 
is creating connections, um, meaningful connections. And when I say that, it's based, again, on research that shows when we don't have meaningful connections uh, and supportive connections in our life, we replace them with uh, dependency and, and unhealthy connections uh, because we as humans need to be connected to something. And uh, so if, if we don't have those positive connections, we actually replace them with negative or dependency. And so our work really focuses on uh, connections through being intentional with our built environment. And I think coming out of the pandemic, we now all really see the need for connection in its various ways, uh, having to have been isolated for, for so long. Um, so I think there's more awareness around the need for human connection and how that might manifest in architectural design. Um, I hear a lot more discussion around that now um, in our profession, whereas you know before the pandemic, um, there wasn't as much. It sounds like that that was part of your practice anyway, even prior. Yeah. I mean, when I, when I looked at starting a firm um, and, you know, kind of tying this into innovation, um, I think it's, I think innovation uh, requires a certain level of inquiry. I think you have to be inquisitive and question the why of things. And so, you know, I really thought about why, why, what, why should I practice architecture? What does it have to offer? Um, and how can it ultimately lead to better quality of life? Um, and in doing research, I've, I've found that, you know, we need these connections. And so I thought it was kind of interesting to think about how can architecture provide for connections amongst people, whether that be, as you kind of said in the opening, right, to each other or to your history or to your place, if, you know, nature, whatever that might be. Um, and so that kind of guides our work because when you look at, at, there's a Harvard study that it's like one of the longest running studies on um, what leads, what leads to a happy life. And that was their conclusion was meaningful connections. Um, and that really drove home with me when I was volunteering meals on wheels and you go into, you know, people's apartments that are, towards the end of their life and you're you're often the only person that they get to speak to during the day you look around at what what things they were able to bring with them from their previous residence or home into this apartment and you know they don't have work accomplishments or uh newspaper articles on themselves up on the wall they have family and and memories and those connections that they've made during their life that's what's most meaningful to them um, and so I think that just really kind of drove home that that's what, that's what life is about and how do we use, again, our platform and, and our resources um, to help with that. Wow. Brendan, that's one of the most profound things I've heard in the decade is, is it's, it really comes down to meaningful connection. No matter what you're designing, what you're building, how it looks, how it, it ultimately is how it feels and, and, and facilitating and nurturing that meaningful connection. Wow. Yeah. And I think for us, it's, uh, that's the why we do what we do. I'm sure everyone's probably heard of Simon Sinek and his like how, why, and what, okay. and that is the why, um, you know, you can facilitate meaningful connections in a lot of different professions. We just happen to be using the medium of architecture and design to do that. And what point in your life did you believe and want to be an architecture, an architect? Or at least being um, yeah, I, I, 
thought it was a cool profession when I was seven. Okay. Um, and so I was interested in, you know, I, I could never draw well, but I was always interested in architecture. Uh, I kind of had a circuitous path. I mean, uh, it wasn't always for sure. I, uh, my high school, um, counselor recommended that I did not apply to architecture school. Uh, thankfully I, I didn't listen. Um, I actually almost failed out of college in the architecture program for, you know, personal reasons, just a lot of family stuff going on and, you know, life happens, um, but persevered. So it's, uh, yeah, I feel very fortunate to be in this position. Obviously what our profession actually is versus what uh, people who aren't in the profession think it is are vastly different. Um, you know, we spend so little of our time actually doing design work and a lot of it is process facilitation. Uh, that sounds super boring, but it can be fun and interesting because you're essentially collaborating with everyone, right? You are the, uh, in essence, kind of the quarterback of the team and making sure that everyone's designs and engineering fits into what this project vision is. Um, so different than what I thought it was, but I still love it. I mean, I get up every morning excited about the work that we do and, and the clients that we work with. Uh, we do a lot of work with nonprofits, so it makes it easy to feel good about the work you do. Now, how did that come about? Was it a bit of you reaching out to nonprofit organizations, them reaching out to you? Um, at my previous firm, I had uh, I had been laid off during the Great Recession, and then I um, got hired back when things started to turn around. And at that point, the only project that was billable project at the office that was still going was affordable housing. It was a renovation project, so um, you know, not very much design work involved. But that was my first experience working with a nonprofit and doing affordable housing. And I was like, it just something just clicked. I was like, you know what, this is this is it for me. This is what I feel passionate about. Um, and that just kind of led to more of that type of work. And now we really just are a values-based firm, which has led clients to look at our website or, you know, hear me speak and be like, you know what, I want to, I want to work with that firm. They, I, I believe what they believe we have the same values. Um, so that's led us to, doing a domestic violence shelter or a, a substance use recovery center, um, community center, lots of like community oriented projects. Excellent. You're listening to the architecture and innovation podcast. We're talking today with Brendan Sanchez, architect and principal at access architecture. Their website is access dash arc. That's access dash arc. And our uh, public service announcement for today's show is the Council for the Homeless. The Council for the Homeless is a nonprofit organization whose mission is to provide community leadership, compelling advocacy, and practical solutions to prevent and end homelessness in Clark County, Washington. For more information, feel free to visit their website at councilforthehomeless.org. That's councilforthehomeless.org. Orc. Again, Brendan, we talked about the, a project that you you'd, uh, you shared with your audience today. Are there any others that you can talk about without naming names if you don't want to that uh, really had a embodied and encompassed all those values that you talk about? Yeah, I think uh, so. We're still a fairly new firm. We're in our uh, just about at our five year mark, which is um, 
crazy to think about, but we're now getting right. a lot of our projects built. Um, but our very first project, the Elwood, which is in Vancouver here, is uh, 46 units of permanent supportive housing. So people coming out of homelessness. Um, I think that really embodies a lot of what we've talked about today with the intentionality about designing. Um, when you look at that project, you know, we used warm and engaging textures, um, lots of wood, but wood is expensive. And so we really thought about how can we use wood in areas where it's going to have the most impact. And so that's basically where people are interfacing with the building ground level and up the stairs. Uh, in some of the other areas we use more cost-effective material, but, um, so that's kind of how we approach, you know, designing with some nicer material is how do we use it where we get the best bang for our buck. Um, community gardens, because access to nature has been shown to reduce cortisol levels, which improves health outcomes. Um, and I think on the, on the back end, something we haven't really talked about as part of this informed design, and I think is really often overlooked in our profession, is how are our buildings performing after we're done? Uh, so, so many times as architects, we're on to the next thing because we're excited about the new project and the new design. And we never really uh, analyze how successful we were in our building designs and, and what our goals were. And so on that project, we're starting to look at, we did resident surveys where we paid everyone five bucks to fill out a, a one pager of just, you know, how do you feel about living in this development? Are there things that you would change? Are there things that you like? Um, and that information is invaluable for us. Um, I mean, $5 a person is a small price to pay for the information that we get to better inform our future designs. And so that one, I think, is really, it's the full circle. It's us being intentional on our design work and then designing and building it and then analyzing post-occupancy how well we did to then better inform the next project. It sounds like a, a tremendous amount of thought and planning and listening and care go into each project. It's very thorough, very I can think of it in a word as sort of peaceful or at least quiet. There's a stillness, not a distillness, but a stillness in going, how is this going to, to, to be, to, to be completed and how are people likely to feel? Am I reaching a little or, or, or is there some truth to that? No, I, okay. I, you're right. It takes a tremendous amount of energy, but that's what comes with trying to be as intentional as possible in our, again, not just our designs, but like our, our whole business process too. Um, so it takes a lot of work, but it's rewarding. And I think everyone that works here uh, finds it extremely rewarding because of it. And so, um, yeah, it's what I'm, I'm proud of. What would you like to share on your show today, Brendan, that we may not have talked about? I mean, I'm guessing there's probably a, a wide cross-section of people that listen to this sure. podcast and maybe even don't do uh, architecture, but design or innovation of some sort. I think what I would say is... Um, What's been most important for me is to practice design and innovation in a way that's true to myself. Um, and I don't know if this is true in other professions, probably, but in definitely in architecture school, you're kind of taught to idolize certain architects or, or architecture firms. And it's almost like you're expected to pick one and mold yourself after one. Um, and I think really where you find the most success is how do you do this work in a way that's true to yourself um, and what you're passionate about and what your values are? And that's enough. You don't need to be something else. You don't need to market yourself as something else. 
people will see that you're speaking from the heart and from who you are and they'll they'll respect that and they'll want to be a part of that and i think that's partially what's led to our success is just being honest with who we are and not trying to to be something that we're not brendan it's been a a true honor and pleasure having you on our show today thank you very much of course i appreciate the time our guest today has been brendan sanchez architect and principal of access architecture in vancouver washington access architecture believes that connections shape who we are and give life purpose. They're committed to exploring how the built environment can foster these connections, whether it's to one another, environment, history, or community. Furthermore, their purpose also understands that there is an opportunity in every project to enhance the quality of life through thoughtful architecture. For more information, you can visit their website at access-arc.com. That's access-arc.com. You've been listening to the Architecture and Innovation Podcast by Sierra Clad. Our show is produced and hosted by yours truly, Tom Dior. Our chief audio engineer is Eris Chikopoulos. We look forward to you joining us again next time. Thank you for listening. Sierra Clad is a high-performance fiber cement siding system in one size with triple coat technology and 365 days of self-cleaning along with a 20-year fade limited warranty. Cereclad also offers hundreds of design options. For more information, feel free to visit cereclad.com.